Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. So we're going old school this morning. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter number 6. And I had a good graphic for you too. Man, it was sharp. I guess it just wasn't the Lord's will, but it was sharp. Maybe another time. Verse number 6, the Bible says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and thou shalt, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. You may be seated. I want to teach for a little bit this morning just a very simple subject on the beginning. Very important words spoken by God to His people, important enough that they were commanded that the words that were spoken would not only be in their heart, but those words would be taught to their children, that they would talk about them at home, when they walk by the way, when they lie down, when they rise up, when they go to bed, when they wake up. They would put them, they would put... They would bind signs on their hands. They would put, uh, they actually put a box with a, with a headband on their forehead. And inside that, if you look up in history, I believe was the scripture that said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Uh, they would write them on the post of their house and upon their gates. Important words. The, the instruction here, the takeaway from these verses other than the literal things that were done to these people or for these people during this time period, for us is the Word of God is so important for us that we need it not only when we're at church. We need the Word of God in our life every day. Now, I understand it it can be for some, it can be uh, perhaps maybe a little intimidating uh, when you hear, I'll use Pastor as an example, uh, when you hear him talk of the scripture that he reads because he takes a portion of his daily reading from each section in the Bible. He will read uh, a certain chapter in Proverbs every day. He'll read certain chapters in the book of Acts every day. He'll read certain chapters from the law and the prophets every day. And uh, they, you know, that adds up. That adds up. I, I added it up one time. The amount of scripture that he reads on a daily basis just for his own personal devotion and study was somewhere around a minimum of about 10 chapters or more. Now, now that, that could be pretty intimidating if you're working 50, 60 hours a week trying to take care of your family and, and uh, just trying to survive. And you're thinking, man, where in the world do I squeeze that much reading in? Well, I don't think anybody's ever said that you have to mirror that exactly. All right? 
one thing that we've taught to our young people over the years, and I still stand by it, is I would rather them, and I, I say I declare this to adults as well, I would much rather you read one verse and get it in your heart and your mind than to try to read five chapters and fail. The, the, the value here is you need the Word of God. This is not a competition to see who reads the most. Uh, I have failed prey over the years to uh, the, the concept and the idea of reading a certain number of chapters per day. And, and my start was good, I must admit. It, it was, it was alright and, and it felt good, but as with anything that becomes routine especially when you're trying to squeeze time in for it, or it feels like you are. And you want to make sure that I, I've got my three chapters I've got to read today, or I'm just, I just don't feel like I'm saved if I don't read three chapters. And, and I found myself uh, falling short, and because I was failing, Brother Freddie, to actually get three chapters in. I, I might get a chapter and a half, or I might get two chapters, or I might actually reach the three but not remember any word that I read. You know, I was speed reading because I wanted to get my three chapters in. I was, the start line was at verse number one, and I wasn't going to cross the finish line until I hit chapter three. But I didn't remember anything I did. All I was doing was racing the clock to make sure I could check mark myself that I got three chapters, hallelujah. But it didn't do me any good. And when I, when I stopped trying to, to qualify my Bible reading by a number, and started trying to qualify my Bible reading by understanding. It made a world of difference in my life. Because we need the Word of God. See, the Word of God is your protection. The Word of God is what not only saves you, but it's what keeps you saved. And it was so important that the, that the children of God were instructed, commanded by God to keep it in their heart. To keep it in their house. We need to talk about the Word of God at home. Amen. We, we, need, we need to have God active in our home. Because you see, God will be a whole lot less foreign to us when we're in church if we talk about Him when we're not at church. And sometimes the reason why it feels like we're having to catch up when we get to church is because we haven't talked about Him since we was last at church. We could have a lot more activity when we're in church. I'm talking about on an individual level. Between you and God, you can connect with God in worship. You can connect with God through the teaching and the preaching of the Word a lot more clearly whenever you have a relationship with God that is built on more than just His house. Because when I, when I go to visit my family, you see, I, I, I think about and recollect on my family, my family, my personal family that lives in Kentucky, I, I think about them more than just whenever I'm at their house. I, I, I try to do due diligence to talk to them more than just whenever I'm in their house. It requires a phone call. It requires a text message. It requires some form of communication. I don't want my communication with God to be restricted to only when I'm in His house. Because then there's that, that initial awkwardness where you know you haven't seen anybody for a while and you've got to warm up. Now I realize some of you extroverts here this morning may not have that problem, but not all of us are like that. 
Some of us, when we enter a crowd, we don't, we don't command the entire room. We have to warm up just a little bit. <clears throat> Amen? I'm, I'm not a shy person. But you stick me in a room with people that I, I don't know, I'm not going to just walk in and just start taking control of the party. I'm going to blend in. I'm going to be quiet for a while till I start getting to know somebody. There's a warm-up phase there for me, and I know some of you are exactly the same way. I've got to warm up to those people first, and, and then once they know me and once I know them, well, then perhaps they may wish they didn't know me anymore. I don't know. It, it, you know would this guy ever shut up? But there's a warm-up phase. I don't want a warm-up phase between me and God because I need him in a moment's notice. I, I need him whenever I'm near in a, in a near miss in an automobile going at X number of miles per hour. We won't talk about the number. It's, it's irrelevant. But I need him in a moment's notice whenever things are just about to go wrong and he's the only one that can help me. As a matter of fact, and, and some of you can relate to this this morning, I need God in times where I don't have the time or the privilege to call on him. Has anybody ever been in a situation, automobile seems to be the first thing that comes to mind, but a situation where you needed him so quick you didn't even have time to call on his name. But yet, he was there. Oh, thank you, Jesus. He was there. Why? Because of a relationship. I, I don't want a warm-up phase. I don't want to come to church. We don't need to come to church, saints of God, and have a warm-up phase between us and God where that it takes us 30 minutes just before we start really recognizing, hey, we're in God's house. I was raised on this philosophy that we enter to worship and we depart to serve. So our being a Christian is about more than just attending church. I come to church to worship God and to maintain the knowledge of the Word of God in my life. But whenever I leave, that's when I'm a Christian. That's when my Christianity is demonstrated is when I walk out the back door and I face the world head on. And we don't need a warm-up phase. We, we want to be students of the Word of God. It doesn't matter your intellectual level. It doesn't matter if you quit school in the sixth grade. God still wants you to be a student of His Word. He wants you to understand it. Studying the Word should be done. It should be done in the home. It should be done wherever you are outside of the house of God. All throughout the Bible times, the Word of God was learned in homes. Churches, synagogues, and temples were only a place where you reaffirmed what you already learned by studying the Word of God at home and gave you an opportunity for corporate worship. God is not expecting every one of us to be theologians, but to learn the Scriptures on a daily basis is a lifetime pursuit. We find in the book of Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 9, it reads this way, After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is simply teaching the disciples how to pray. In this prayer, we are instructed to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. 
The primary meaning of that is for food on our table, shoes on our feet, and clothes on our back. The temporal needs of life. But there is a secondary need there that is underlying the surface, and that is a spiritual bread, an application of the Word of God. Because God has a word for us every day. How many times have you picked up your Bible or a devotional book and you was in need of something that day, whether it be morning or evening, just something bearing on your mind or your spirit, and you picked something up and it just fell to the right spot. And you read it and you was like, Lord, how did you know? I needed that today. And that's refreshing. And we need to remember those times because God is well able and capable to give you that every day. Because He wants to give you a daily bread in a spiritual application. But most importantly, we find that David wrote in Psalm 119 and verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart. Everybody say, my heart. That I might not sin against thee. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. You aren't protected from sin if you don't have the word of God in your heart. Amen. The reason why we often fall in sin is because we don't have the word of God in our heart. We need, I need more than just a once a week fill up. My, my, my fuel mileage isn't that good. I, I need a daily fill up. I need something in the presence of God to help me and to tell me what I need to do, when I need to do it. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Uh, you know, we, we often talk whenever uh, we teach on prophecies in the book of Revelations and things of that nature, we talk about the day that would approach that we wouldn't even have a Bible. And, and I, I don't know if the rapture will take place before that or if we'll actually see that. Uh, I, I'm really just trying to focus on being saved. But if by chance we do face a day where that we no longer have holy writ that you can hold in your hands, if that would ever happen in our lifetime before God comes back, then we need the Word of God in our heart. We need to be able to call to remembrance those things that God has done. You can't call to remembrance something you didn't know. But the Bible declares to us that the Holy Ghost is our teacher. That the Spirit of God would lead, guide, and direct us into all truth. So I believe this morning, and again, I know, I know some struggle with the Bible because of the these and the thous, and it's, it's hard to, sometimes to really understand what it's trying to say, but if you will give an effort, even if it's a slow effort, if you will give an effort to where you can, can read the Word of God and then pray, God, help me. Help me understand what I just read. He will reveal that to you. He will help you and He will teach you and guide you into the way that you should go. I need the Word of God in my heart. I need the Bible alive in my heart. Because you see, the Word of God, it, it's never stopped. Every other book that you can pick up, it's a dead book. It has no life. Even if it has meaning, it's, it's historical meaning. It, it, it's just knowledge input. It doesn't really invest a whole lot into you that is alive. 
But the Word of God, there, there's books in the Bible that, that's never ended yet. The, the book of Acts never stopped. We're still writing the book today. Amen. By the miracles and the signs and the wonders that God performs for His people. The Word of God is like an antibiotic. Everybody here has probably taken medicine at some point. When you get an infection, you take, you take the medicine to remove the infection. And if you should feel better before you're finished with the prescription, you are told by your doctor or your nurse, take all of the medicine. Anybody ever been told that this morning? Anybody ever been guilty of stopping short because you felt better? Yeah. God's Word is good for us. See, you're, you're, you're told to take all the medicine because it builds up a resistance inside of you. Even though you feel better, there still could be some infection in there that needs to be taken care of. So you're told, empty the bottle out. Take all of it. And that's just what the Word of God is for us. It is a resistance builder to sin and the beggarly elements of this world. If, if I've got a problem with sin, then the last thing I want to do is stop short of something building resistance in my life. I, I want to put up every stone wall that I can. I want to put up every barrier that I can between me and sin. And the Word of God is what does that. Somebody say, thank God for His Word. So the Bible is divided up into two testaments. We know them as the Old Testament and the New Testament. They, the word testament just simply means covenant or agreement. And a, a covenant, you must understand this morning, is not like a contract. Because if you sign a contract, a contract has a beginning date and an ending date. It's good for a period of time. But a covenant is eternally good. If you enter a covenant with someone, it will never expire. It is good until the day that you both no longer exist. It is what it is. The Old Testament is still just in effect today as it was whenever it was written. But Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. He fulfilled the law by the entering of a dispensation of grace. For that I'm grateful. But there are 633 Mosaic laws that had to be followed, and if you didn't follow them when the priest went in once a year, then you were at risk of not being saved. Whew. That's quite a law book to memorize. I don't know about you, but even in an era of grace, I mess up enough with grace. And the only thing I've got to remember is, help me, Jesus. The only thing I've really got to remember is, is I'm sorry, Lord. Please help me not to do that again and then make a conscious choice to try to live differently. I mess up enough with that, much less remembering 633 laws. Woo! And I no longer have to depend on somebody else to get salvation for me. I can go directly to God in prayer and by the study of His Word. So the Bible is broken up into several time periods. It's broken up into four time periods to be exact. 
One that is known as the age of innocence from Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 3. The age of conscience from the remaining verses of chapter 3 to chapter 12. The patriarchs from Genesis 12 through Exodus 20. And then the law of the prophets. This is the Old Testament now from Exodus chapter 20 through the end of the Old Testament. Now here is something that is exciting to me about the Old Testament. And I'm sure you've heard this before, but it, it bears repeating. There are 32 writers in the Old Testament. 32 writers. One author, God. But 32 different men who dipped their, their feather in the inkwell and began to write on scrolls the words that God instructed them to write. These 32 writers span a time period of 36 Hundred years. Now the oldest man to ever live, I believe, was 969 years old. So there was no one man, and he didn't write a book. So there was no one man that was old enough to span that entire time period. There were men who wrote a book, died, before another man wrote a different book, but yet their writings agree with each other. Man, that causes the Holy Ghost to come up on me right there. 32 different men from different eras, from different decades, from, from different centuries who wrote, all divinely inspired by Almighty God, the words that we have the privilege of reading every day and yet their prophecies agree. There is not one contradiction from one book to the other. How can anybody declare that the Bible is not the Word of God? That's not a coincidence. That is God orchestrating from His throne His greatness. These writings were written in a, in a period within 30... They span 3,600 years of history. But they were written within 1,500 years. Powerful proof of the authenticity of the Word of God. The books of the Old Testament open up with the law. The next 12 books are the history that deal with the nation of Israel and God's people. The following five books are called poetry because of the style of writing in which they're written. And the fi final 17 books of prophecy complete the Old Testament. Let me, let me top that off with more. We're, we're focusing on the Old Testament right here. But there are writings from the prophets in the Old Testament that are revealed in the New Testament. Again... Because there was, an, there was a, 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 an age between the closing of the Old Testament and the opening writings of the New Testament called 400 years of silence. God didn't talk to anybody. So before the 400 years of silence, before the age of, of quiet, there, there were writings of prophecies. The prophet Isaiah prophesied that there would be a son and that the government would be upon his shoulder and his name would be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God. We quote it at Christmas time every year. Mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We see that same Prince of Peace revealed in the first chapter of the book of Matthew. When an angel appeared before Joseph and Mary and said, you're going to have a son. That's the same son that was prophesied thousands of years before on the scrolls of Isaiah when he declared that there would be a son. I'm glad that I know who the son is this morning. Amen. And he was revealed hundreds of years by another man they never met. Matthew's account was first hand, but he never met Isaiah. 
He never met the other prophets of the Old Testament. But yet he served the same God who was authoring and orchestrating his hand to pin down the words of God. Thus saith the word of the Lord. He was serving the same God. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. The word of God is so rich and is so powerful. That is the same word of God that we have the privilege of reading every day of our lives. Moses said that they were to write it and make a memorial and rehearse it in the ears of the people. That's all that God is asking us to do. He has given us a privilege of having His Word in, in, an, in a certain account. Granted, every account of God's works are not in, in writing. The book couldn't contain it. But the selection of things that God has allowed us the privilege to see and to know and to understand in His Word is intended for us to glean from that how we too can make it. Bible is powerful. Yes, I know it has its uh, areas of less interest. Some of our young people were, were comparing notes Friday night uh, about uh, the begats in certain chapters in the Bible where that you, you're, you're just reading one man and... It only lists the men, and no, the men didn't give birth, but their wives gave birth to another man, and, and he begat this and begat and begat and begat. I fall asleep on the begats, I'll admit it. It's it just not the most interesting subject in the world. But it's still good information. Because somewhere along through the begats, there's a point. There's a reason for knowing that. And... You know, granted, there are, there are areas of, of less interest, but then there are areas, man, they just engage you. Yes, For I've hid your word in my heart, O oh Lord, that I might not sin against you. You're struggling with sin this morning, and you just don't know how to break the curse. Let me clue you in this morning. The word of God is your power source. The Word of God is your power source. There's an interesting, interesting piece of, of trivia about the Bible. And, and this isn't preach worthy. It's just good to know, so I'll share it with you. But the Bible is not assembled for us in chronological order. It's assembled in the 1500s by, by men who were experts and in and, and, and translating the scrolls, and they assembled it in a way that they felt that it would make it easier for mankind to actually read. But it's not written like a diary. Uh, and when you stop and really think about this, it, it becomes more obvious because you have, you have the books that Solomon wrote, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, but yet you see that he lived in 2 Samuel. All right? So you don't start at Genesis... And, and have like a diary where that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, that those are the exact orders in which they were written. Because Genesis was written, if you don't know, was written by Moses. So several, and, and that's just, man, that just blows my mind and just makes me appreciate God even more. Because for Moses, and we're talking about the guy that led the children of Israel out of the wilderness. We're talking about the guy that the first 40 years of his life, he was a prince. And he, he, he was almost like the Apostle Paul was as Saul. He was the prince of Egypt. He didn't want to have anything to do with those Hebrews. 
But somewhere he was saved Old Testament style. And then he started following the voice and the power of God in his life. Well, he is the author of the first five books of the Bible. The writer. So somewhere in Moses' life, I don't know if it's while he's in his Exodus journey and, and in the middle of the night he's looking up at, at how that God is keeping them warm by a pillar of fire by night. And I don't know if that just anointing fell and he started to pen the words and in the beginning God... I don't know how it happened, but somehow hundreds of years into the lifespan of man... A man followed the voice of God and wrote about the origin of man. About an Adam and an Eve that he had never met. Think about this now. The writer to the book of Genesis, the person that wrote the words by God, never met Adam and Eve. Didn't, didn't see man created from the dust of the ground. Didn't see the finger of God pull a rib out of a woman and out of a man and make a woman? Well, I about, about messed that up, didn't I? <laughs> All those equal rights folks would have enjoyed that. <laughs> he didn't see that. Why do you know it's real? Number one, I believe. But number two, even scientists have found fossil, preserved fossils of, of, of bones and skeletons that can even date by carbon dating back to where they think that it's Eve. Now folks, that's powerful. To take something that a man has written that he never witnessed, but, but because there was a spirit in him that, that agreed with what he was hearing, he penned words that God gave him, and those are the foundations of everything we believe. And with that said, we see that the Bible starts and kicks us off in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. This is God's declaration of existence. Basically, God steps onto the scene and says... I did it. I, I, I know sometimes it's easy for us to just kind of glaze over on stuff like this because we've heard it from Sunday school. We, 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 we cut our teeth on it. And, oh, yeah, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But when you stop and slow down and think about it, in the beginning, God, you could stop right there. You could just stop right there and just say, in the beginning, God, and period. Enough said. I don't need to declare anything else. In the beginning, God. But he does it. He goes on and he gives us some descriptions. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I believe that this is possibly the hardest verse in the Bible to believe. If, you'll just, if I could provoke you to thinking this morning. Because... It's where everything started. There's all kinds of theories and postulations out there from scientists and non-scientists, from, from church folks and non-church folks on how everything began 
And, you know, a lot of people get interested in, oh, where did, where did everything start? I'm not so, in, so interested in how everything started as I am how it's going to end. God says, I did it. If you can believe Genesis 1 and 1, and I hope you do, but if you can believe Genesis 1 and 1, if you can take faith in God stepping onto the scene, if you will, and declaring, I've made heaven, I've made earth, and I've done it by my own hand, if you can believe that, you can believe anything. The rest of the Bible is easy. Because that is perhaps quite possibly one of the greatest miracles because it is the beginning of miracles. How did he do it? I, I don't know. I, I, we, we could stop right here and we could, we could open up a forum and we could debate on what we think and we could say, well, I think he did it this way. I think, I think he used his finger like a paintbrush and he just, he just designed the stars and the gal. Maybe he did. I don't know if he took his time or I don't know if he just said, let it be done. I really don't know. And, and quite honestly, I, I really don't care. I just know that he did it. If it took him 5,000 years, he did it. If it took him five seconds, he did it. In the beginning, God. We can really stop right there and just say that God did it. He doesn't try to defend himself. He doesn't spend time uh, proving himself. All he does is say, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. All he's basically saying is, I am God, I did it all, and the reason you exist is because of me. And if you believe Genesis 1 and 1, then you really pretty well have to believe the rest. Because the rest just fall under the umbrella of creation and God's power. Because if God did create heaven and earth, then we are held accountable to all that He wants because He is God. He is our Creator. And the reason why we are is because He is. Somebody say amen. amen. What about the atheist? What about someone that says, I don't believe in God? Well, for starters, not everybody that says they don't believe in God is an atheist. Because half the people that I've met that say that they don't believe in God, they're just saying that because they don't know what they believe in. They're not a devout anti-God. An atheist is an anti-God person. A person that says, I don't believe in God, sometimes is just confused. There is a difference. But what about those people that say they don't believe in God? What about the, the genuine atheist that says that God does not exist and that everything is just by chance and happenstance? God does not address this in the first chapter. Matter of fact, He doesn't address it in the first book. It's not until you get to the book of Psalms that God gives us some attention, but he does address it. And in Psalm 14 and 1, David pens a very powerful statement from the voice of God. And he says, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Wow. You say, I don't believe in God. There is no God. God says, Well, you're a fool. I don't leave here this morning and say, Brother Mason called me a fool. I didn't call you that. God did. The Creator. The one who spoke the world into existence says, if you don't believe in me, you're a fool. There's a reason why God says that. 
There's a reason why God says everything He says. Nobody likes being called a fool. So let's take a look and see why. Let's look at atheism. Saying there is no God from this world standpoint. In the 1800s, there was a man by the name of Darwin. Anybody ever heard of Charles Darwin? Uh, more than likely, you've heard about him in school. Your children have heard about him in school. Charles Darwin is the man who is responsible for the study of evolution. We know that evolution, by its root definition, is that man originated from the life and species of an ape or a monkey. That God did not create man. But here's some things that you may not know about Mr. Darwin. In the 1800s is where we find him in history. Charles Darwin was a preacher. Now I'm going to take my time here because I want this to soak in real carefully because I think it will help you. Charles Darwin was a preacher who got mad at God and he backslid. He denied the faith that he was living, the faith that he preached. And in his anger at God, he decided to do everything he could do to disprove that there was a God at all. So he took up science, and in his studies he formulated a thesis. We know that thesis as the origin of the species, that is, the root of evolution. In his thesis, Darwin theorized that we came from monkeys. This basis was all on what was called soft science. Soft science is, the definition of soft science is, it's by observation only. There is no fact and no data to support it. There is no hard scientific relevance. It's simply a theory. And in this theory, Darwin chained together several steps that would have to take place for man to have originated from the monkey. One of these things Darwin theorized was, if indeed man came from monkey, then future science would have to prove it in the fossil record. And they will find the evolving of, man, of monkey, listen to this now, they will find the evolving of monkey to man in creatures that are half monkey, half man. Now, go to your zoo. Watch National Geographic. Take you a safari voyage to Africa if you, can if you can afford it. But you will not find anywhere on the face of planet Earth a midpoint evolution animal that is half monkey and half man. He admitted by his own theory, and I've been saying this for years before I ever even knew that he said it himself, that if, if this theory is correct, that you will still see in present day monkeys that are at, they're, they're evolving. They, they're a monkey, then you'll see some that are to the point where they're still half monkey and half man because they're not through their evolutionary process yet. Are you with me? You don't see that. There is no scientific or unscientific proof of any half-monkey, half-man evolutionary creatures. One thing Darwin said was, if future science does not prove these things, then I am wrong. Well, I'm glad he admitted to that. 
because he, he wasn't a fool completely. Now, it's important for us to stop here and recognize the history of Darwin and what led him to his anti-God thesis was simply that he grew cold in his relationship with God. For a man to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to backslide and then have his life's breath be everything about opposing everything he's been teaching. Ladies and gentlemen, he was cold on God. This is why it's important for you to have the Word of God. Because you don't know what backslider might be the next Darwin. When you come to God, the Bible declares in the New Testament, when you are baptized in Jesus' name, that old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Now it would stand to reason at that point that if I backslide today, that because of my baptism 28 years ago, that I became a new person, I cannot, I cannot turn back the clock and just erase history and act as like it's never happened. I cannot be the same person I was pre-baptism. That person no longer exists. It's been passed away. The death was the grave. Baptism. I came up a new baby in Christ. I was a new creature, the Bible declares. So now if I backslide on God, I'm a new sinner. Follow me now. If you're 50 years old and you come to God, if you're 50 years old and you come to God, I was 10 years old when I got baptized, so let's raise the age. If you're 50 years old and you get baptized in Jesus' name, then as a 50-year-old person, you are a new creature in Jesus Christ. And if at the age of 55 you backslide and you quit and you walk away from God, you are not the same person you were when you were 50. That person, it doesn't exist. In eternity, it's passed away. So now at 55, you are a new sinner. You cannot predict what type of sinner you'll be. You cannot predict, well, I used to do this, I'll just go back to do it. You, you can't make that prediction because you don't know yourself. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and wicked and no man can know it. I, I have known people, I'll use this as a careful example, but I have known men that were friends of mine growing up, guys that, that would, would amen the preacher when they talked about one man, one woman relationships. But backslid and got themselves into multiple men relationships. Now, when they were living for God, they would declare to the top of their voice that I do not believe nor support in homosexuality. But when they became a new sinner, they could not predict the path that they would walk. Ladies and gentlemen, all I'm saying this morning is we are no different than Charles Darwin. Our judgment is that he was an evil man and he was the creator of evolution. No, that's not the, that's not the beginning of the story. The beginning of the story is, is he was a gospel man. Now that's a scary thing. 
That's something that should make us stop and think about where we are in our life with God because the only thing that separates us from being Charles Darwin and the next Darwin and the next man to oppose everything we've preached at the top of our lungs is one decision. He got mad at God. I don't know too many backsliders that aren't a little ill at God. Because if you're on a good relationship with him, you're generally not going to walk away from him. Next, it's important to understand that the lack of credentials in his thesis proves, does not disprove, but proves the beginnings as correct. God created. If he were living today, he would have to publicly admit, I was wrong. Now, here's, an, here's another point I want to make, and I want to make sure we make this point before we close today. Because they're still teaching evolution in our schools. Grade school, middle school, high school, college. They still teach his thesis. Whenever it comes to creation uh, teaching in public schools, the first subject that comes up is Darwinism. Even though everything I've just told you, every person clearly understands. All the facts point to the fact that Charles Darwin was wrong. So Brother Mason, why do they teach it? Let me answer that with this. Evolution is still considered today to be the first and foremost belief in the classroom as to the origin of man. The answer to why can be given from an evolutionist who was quoted in the 1980s in the New York Times. The 1980s, just 30 years ago. He said this, and I quote, There is not, this is an evolutionist, okay? He says, there is not one shred of evidence to back up the evolutionary theory. But I still choose to believe in evolution because I do not want to be held accountable to a deity. Now, a deity is a god. A deity is a power that is greater than you. That is the spirit of the world we live in. They would rather believe a lie than to believe something that proves that they are weaker than it. Well, the first step to salvation I made was repentance. And to repent, I had to recognize I'm not all that. I had to recognize, God, you're greater than I am. I was made in your image, but I'm still, I'm still flesh. You are God. There are folks that do not want to surrender to that, so they would rather believe an admitted lie. So don't fall prey to believing something is true just because it's popular. Darwinism and the, and the evolution theory is popular for a reason because there's a spirit in this world today that does not want to follow and if we are not careful, if we do not have the Word of God hid in our heart, 
If we do not daily digest the, the Bible, if we do not take, uh, you know, that one verse we talked about, ignore the chapters, get you one verse a day minimum and read it, digest it, eat it like you're eating table food and understand it real well. If we don't do that and don't have God ever present in our life, the only thing that separates us from this evolution man is one choice. Because he says, and I quote, I choose to believe. Well, if he can choose to believe in a lie, can't we choose to believe publicly in the truth? If this world can make a choice to believe an admitted lie because they don't want to follow God, can't we God followers believe that He is everything we need? Contrast that with another man who was a mathematician, who was a scientist who based everything on hard fact. Lots of data, lots of proof, lots of science. His name was Albert Einstein. Everybody has heard of him, even if you don't know a lot about him. Through his mathematics, Einstein discovered what he called and what we know as the Big Bang Theory. By hard science, he proved that the world did not evolve, but it all came together at once. He had been an atheist until discovering these facts. After that, there is no record that he believed in Jesus Christ. But he did admit that there was some kind of intelligent designer that brought about man. I'm glad I know the intelligent designer today. I don't care if it happened in a big bang. As a matter of fact, I would never even say that it didn't happen in a big bang. Now, now my, the, the generations that have gone before me and before my fathers uh, all used to preach against the Big Bang Theory and how wrong it was and that, that there wasn't a Big Bang, that God created the heavens and the earth. I'm not declaring God didn't create it, and I'm not declaring that there wasn't a Big Bang. But if there was a Big Bang, I believe God said it. If there's enough science to prove that everything just happened and that it didn't have a slow beginning, but just all of a sudden everything appeared, that's God. If He wants to call it a Big Bang, that's fine, because the Big Bang was God shooting off His fireworks, saying, let it begin. And then we can step back and declare, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What a glorious privilege we have to have the Word of God. We can honestly say this morning that without the Word of God, we can't be saved. And once you get saved, one of the biggest mistakes you can ever make is not to continue the Word of God in your life. I need the Word of God to stay saved. I, I often feel like David. God, the only reason I didn't mess up today is because I've got your Word in my heart. Amen. The only reason there are certain things that I used to battle daily is because I've got His Word in my heart. There are, there are, there are certain temptations. Let, let me help somebody that's, that's new here this morning, or maybe if you're not new and you're still facing this. There are certain temptations that I used to, I used to face 20 years ago. I don't face those same temptations anymore. Now, unfortunately, they've been replaced with other things. Life is cyclical like that. 
But I'm still not, I'm still not fighting the same demons, Sister Sharon, today as I was 20 years ago. And the only thing I can contribute that to is not my own power. And it's not that I got used to it and just figured out, I didn't figure out any magic formula. It's the Word of God. What you, what you take in, what you digest into your life. You ever heard your parents ever tell you, garbage in, garbage out? Some of you heard that before. I think there's a lot of relevance to that. What you take in, what you digest, has a whole lot to do with what goes on in your mind and with what comes back out. I used to digest 25, 30 years ago when I was a kid, I used to digest the wrong kind of music behind my parents' back. I used to go to my friend's house and, man, we'd, we'd rock and roll. And that was, in the, that was in the new era of heavy metal. And, my God, I hear some of that stuff today and it just scares the daylights out of me. But I used to digest that. And I had trouble in my mind. I had dreams. I had thoughts. There were things I, were, I, were, I was facing at a certain age that I should have never faced. What you take in manipulates what you put out. And when you replace that garbage with God's Word and a godly, Christian, holy lifestyle, some of those things just have a way of disappearing. Amen. So we need, we need, in, in a very desperate way, we need the Word of God. And dating back to the beginning, in the beginning, God. I don't have time to go any further, but there, there is a huge, huge gap between Genesis 1, 1 and Genesis 1, 2. I don't have time to get into that today, but uh, I am thankful for the beginning. Aren't you thankful for the Word of God this morning? Would you stand with me this morning? Let's just lift our hands and be thankful to Him. Give Him some praise. I thank You, Lord, for Your Word. I thank You, God, for Your power. <clears throat> Jesus, I magnify You, Lord, for Your Word is so real and so rich for our life. For truly the words that David wrote, Thy word have, have we hid in our heart that we might not sin against you, God. We need your word active and alive in our life today. We thank you for that. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.